Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, January 7th. We begin with an update on yesterday's riots and siege of the Capitol building in Washington. We hear the first-hand account of what it was like to be on the ground in D.C. at that time from Global's Washington correspondent, Reggie Cicchini. Next, we look at the continuing fallout from the politician travel scandal, particularly the impact on trust in government. We speak with political science professor Keith Brownsey. Wondering how to successfully tackle your personal or household debt in 2021? We get some advice from Marie Kozlowski, licensed insolvency trustee from BDO Canada. And finally, have you heard of Dry January? We hear details on the growing movement to leave alcohol behind for January and get some strategies to stay the course the entire month. 609 on the morning news, an historic day, call it an unprecedented day in U.S. politics yesterday as Trump supporters breached the U.S. Capitol in violent clashes with police. This day will go down in history, and uh, one person who was there to witness it firsthand is Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent. Good morning to you, Reggie. Good morning. We watched uh, the images on television, heard the news and and watched it on social media coming in. You were there and I wonder if you can give us an account of of, of what it felt like as things began to unravel throughout the day. And actually, you had to move to a second location. Is that right? Yeah, it is. And look, as a journalist, you never want to make the story uh, about yourself. But the journalists in this country have become a story for the last four years because President Trump uh, has turned tens of millions of people who follow him uh, uh, nearly religiously, uh, that he has turned them against the media. So the media is kind of put in a line of fire whenever you're in these kinds uh, of situations. And when we were at the Capitol yesterday, we were watching these thousands of people climb the steps. We were on the east front of the Capitol, which faces the U.S. Supreme Court. We were watching watching them climb the steps. We could see the snipers uh, on the roof. We could see the broken glass and we could see the flashbangs going off. Uh, and we understood it was time to, to bail back. We needed to get out of that situation. And it's a good thing we did. Some of our colleagues from the Associated Press, uh, they stayed behind. They had to abandon their equipment. Uh, the rioters, the insurrectionists took that equipment, burned it, claimed that they were the media. This is, this is a situation that was um, never wanted, but long expected based on the vitriol that we have heard from the White House for the last four years. And yet it was still shocking to see the extent of what happened. So where in the world was the National Guard, the Capitol Police? Why did it look like there was zero show of force against these rioters who were breaking their way into the Capitol building? Yeah, you know, that's an open question right now. Uh, because of the situation of D.C., it's not a state, so it simply has home rule on areas that aren't federal property. D.C. police can't just walk onto federal property uh, and, and assist uh, assist with, with, with federal protection. The D.C. National Guard was delayed getting here because President Trump would not sign off on it. The, the Secretary of the Army delayed on signing off on it, and we only found out after the fact it was a vice president who gave the uh, initial okay to let the D.C. National Guard come in. We had to have Virginia's governor released the Virginia National Guard and Virginia state troopers uh, to be able to come in and assist with protection. U.S. Capitol Police, they are not equipped to deal with that kind of of mob mentality. Uh, The protest last summer had riot police dispatched, and that is because the Department of Justice released those police. Uh, They didn't release those this time around, Mm. whether it's because there was a delay, whether it's because these were President Trump supporters, there is going to be a long and lengthy uh, investigation as to what systematic failures took place to allow this to happen. Reggie, it was a, a deadly day as well. We heard about that one woman who was shot within the building and three more deaths attributed to yesterday's riots. Do we know about the other deaths and, and, and how they were caused? 
All we know is that they were just deaths related to medical incidents that took place uh, during the events. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to kind of read into that any more than what we're able to get uh, fr from the from the officials who released that information. Nonetheless, one death is far too many, no matter what side you're on in a situation that simply shouldn't have happened. And the reason that this situation took place on the U.S. Capitol is because President Trump for four months has fed us uh, for two months, rather, has set fed a series of lies to his followers to say that the election that he lost was done so because of fraud. That is simply not true. And we now see that there is a cost to President Trump's chaos. And that cost is a life. You know, and it's actually, frankly, shocking that there weren't more people either injured or killed in what happened yesterday. But I think, you know, one of the most important things that kind of gets lost in all of this is that Congress has now. They went back. They finished their job. They said they will not be stopped. And Joe Biden will assume the mantle of the American presidency on January 20th. Yeah, absolutely. Look, despite uh, facing, uh, you know, calamity, uh, Congress went back and said, we have a constitutional duty uh, to carry these tasks out. And they did it. And it is now game over for anybody who has thought that somehow there would be some kind of overturning of this election uh, for a president that lost it. The game is over. This election was won by Joe Biden. You have now seen it certified in Congress. You can tweet it. You can you can complain about it. You can air your grievances. The game is over. Uh, and that game ended when somebody lost their life and, and an insurrection act took place. Place, uh, inside the U.S. Capitol. Joe Biden was certified last night. But what's remarkable is that given what we saw yesterday, Republicans still stood up and objected to some of those uh, votes from Pennsylvania that were cast by Pennsylvania residents. They still stood up to object to them, uh, which shows that there is still a, a part of the Republican Party that still puts President Trump mm. over their constitutional duty. Reggie, there were more than a few conversations uh, you know, making the rounds late yesterday afternoon and into the evening about invoking the 25th Amendment. What are the odds or what are the possibilities of, of something like that happening? It is something that's being discussed uh, uh, apparently quietly right now within the executive cabinet. The vice president can invoke that if he has the majority of the cabinet, if he has the majority or if he has the majority of Congress. Uh, there are questions as to whether that is something that needs to be done. It's only ever been thought of seriously uh, back in the 80s when the cognitive abilities of Ronald Reagan were being called into question. Uh, there are, are, are going to be louder conversations as to whether this is something that needs to happen. President Trump is in bunker mentality uh, right now, and that is not what this country needs. Needs. There's also conversations of putting through a very quick impeachment process to see if they can muster up uh, the support to have President Trump charged and removed from office. There are 13 days left. It's not very much time. But given what we saw yesterday, 13 days could feel like a lifetime. We're just watching on TV and seeing some of the images uh, from inside the Capitol and the offices themselves and the damage and the destruction that's been done. Will the full force of the law come down on these? And none of them were wearing masks, so they're probably pretty easy to identify. So is that being talked about at all? How much uh, force of the law will be felt by these people who broke in? There's going to be a, there's going to be a big investigation into this because look uh, in any other situation this would simply be handled you know by some of the federal law enforcement but oftentimes by local law enforcement these people were in the heart of the U.S. government in in kind of in the building that is the foundational uh, foundations of democracy uh, there are now U.S. federal attorneys there are going to be serious federal investigations uh, opened up to find out who these people are social media is going to play a big part in this the FBI has already put a call out on social media to help them identify these people and you're right. They weren't in masks. And, and on top of the destruction and damage to the building and to the kind of history inside that building, there is now a threat that 
further illness is going to spread uh, across Washington, D.C., simply because of what the president called on his supporters to do. This is a crisis that is kind of spanning across several pages right now. It is not simply going to go away because they were able to clean up inside. Reggie, all eyes now on January 20th, Inauguration Day, 13 short days from now. And I'm uh, thinking that we're going to see uh, quite the hoopla when it comes to security Mm. uh, when you look at the 20th of January after yesterday's events. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it was already going to be a pared-down event because of the COVID crisis. There wasn't going to be the big crowds on the mall. There wasn't going to be the big crowds that were going to be in attendance. Uh, and security is often incredibly high during uh, inaugurations anyways. But given what we just saw, uh, you can imagine that there is going to be a stepped-up federal law enforcement, uh, potentially from other states as well, joining in to try and ensure that when President Trump uses social media, say that there will be a peaceful transfer of power, that that actually takes place. Well, we're glad you're, you're safe, Reggie, and thank you for your perspective from uh, you know someone who is right there in the thick things, thick of things. So, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. That is Reggie Cicchini, Global's Washington correspondent. Seven oh nine, and do traveling government officials have an effect on how we Albertans will continue to follow or not the COVID restrictions? And is it going to lead to less confidence in our elected officials? Keith Brownsey is a political science professor at Mount Royal University and joins us now with his take. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. I mean, I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon. We're still talking about the travel scandal with uh, so many politicians traveling over the Christmas holidays while asking us to stay home. So does that change, you know, people's thoughts on on whether they should continue to follow the rules, do you think? I don't think so much as it changes people's attitudes towards the government. I think this is an enormous political mistake on the part of the UCP. Um, and it demonstrates, once again, just a certain amount of arrogance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Tracy Allard, the uh, Minister of Municipal Affairs, saying something to the effect of, well, it was a traditional family holiday, and so we were going to go. Now, that is a sense of entitlement that uh, most of us in the public cannot understand and resent. A couple of, uh, you know, resignations handed in, a, a handful of demotions. Do you think that the UCP government has done enough to, to, to maybe, as far as the optics are concerned, change the impression uh, that was made with this travel gate? In no way. It's always first impressions, isn't it? I mean, when you meet someone, or when you answer a question such as, um, should these ministers be punished or whatever. I mean, Jason Kenney made a, fa- a big mistake. I won't say it's fatal. But it's certainly a big mistake when he didn't come out and simply uh, fire Allard and all of the others. You know, either boot them from caucus, uh, something quite severe, but right away do that. Instead, he waffled over three or four days, and look where he is right now. It's a real mess for the UCP. You know, and then last night, uh, a Facebook Live late in the evening, not speaking in front of the media or taking, you know, questions that way, but doing it on a, a Facebook platform. It, is this is this sort of feel like he's he's hiding in a way? Oh, absolutely. And what about last night? It should have been canceled. What was everyone doing last night? Yeah. We were all sitting in front of the television looking at the failed coup or uh, learning about it in the United States. We were all engaged in that. No one was online with Jason Kenney, though that's not quite true. That's an exaggeration on my part. But people didn't care about that. No, uh, they were on to other, other things. It's like having a political debate on uh, Christmas morning or New Year's <laughs> Eve. It was foolish, bad timing. 
So, you know, you say the damage was done and oh, it should have yeah. been swift uh, as far as, you know, the initial the dealings with it. Okay, if you're in the driver's seat and uh, they say, okay, Keith, you are now appointed to, to do PR and marketing for the UCP, what steps would you take at this point? Well, the first thing I do, I'd walk in and tell them, okay, uh, you've punished these people. And I think justifiably so. The level of um, uh, the tone, depth, nature of their actions is just bizarre. Think about this. Tanya Fur went on a so-called uh, family trip to Las Vegas. Las Vegas? <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, you know, I've often thought of Vegas as my own spiritual home. Um, but um, in this case, it's just ridiculous. And isn't the border supposed to be closed with the United States? You can't drive back and forth. You can fly. And don't you have to go into isolation and all the rest of this? Well, all that was ignored. What I would do if I was Jason Kenney right now is ensure that the vaccine, uh, the COVID-19 vaccine, is delivered promptly and efficiently. Uh, speed is one thing efficiency is another and get that going and it i think what we see in the reaction against um aloha gate to travel gate whatever we're calling it is a uh, frustration with the government right now i mean it's they've simply brought it to the service surface a frustration that we're not getting the vaccines yet we were promised all this mm-hmm. It just it all really comes across as being so incredibly tone deaf. And then we hear yesterday yeah. that Jason Kenney is now working from the Allison Redford Sky Palace, which, again, <laughs> I get that, you know, it's 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 built. It's there. There are, you know, renovations being done somewhere else. So he needs to work somewhere. But it just seems, again, so tone deaf. Yeah, it is a bit tone deaf. And I, you know, I've I've made it clear. I, I tweeted out a few days ago that this is incidental. It's It's where he should be right now because the legislature is under renovation and it, it the, the premier needs offices uh, out of which to work. So it's not a big deal, but I think you're right. I think there's something there. I mean, it just looks bad. Um, who knows? But again, I think it all has to, uh, it all circles back to the vaccine. It all circles back to the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic and the government's response to that. And um, I was quite impressed back in the spring with how they were doing. Uh, but this last uh, few months, it's been miserable, just miserable. We've been going from a one uh, mistake to another. And finally, the vaccine arrives. And where is it? Mm-hmm. In the fridge. It's uh, yeah. in the fridge. <laughs> yeah. Boy, <laughs> well, you know, I think the number is 30,000 Albertans have been vaccinated out of 150,000 across the nation. So uh, devil's advocate, you could say you know, one fifth of the vaccinations that have happened in our nation have happened in our province. Yep. Good for them. But that's still not enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's um, it should have been way more than that. And it's all about public perception. That's what politics is about, at least retail politics. Um, and it should have been uh, distributed much faster than it has been. And I think the final thing that I can say in all this is that the UCP are very good retail politicians. They promised the moon. They promised everything. Jobs, $80 a barrel in oil. They never made, they never said $80, but, you know, oil was magically going to uh, rise in price overnight once they were elected. Uh, they were going to pro- they promised a bunch of pipelines and all the rest of it. None of that has happened, and they've been cursed with 
you know, this medieval plague. It's just they've nothing they've done has worked. And I think what we see with the public reaction against Aloha Gate, uh, the traveling MLAs and uh, their uh, staff, is a reaction against all this. What have you guys done? You haven't done what you said you would. Uh, Keith, you know, we're getting a few texts in saying, you know, yes, you're talking about Alberta specifically, but yep. we, sh- we should mention federally there were politicians who also took holidays and at the municipal level here in Calgary yep. too. But is that getting as much play or is Alberta really just center stage because there were so many of them? Uh, Alberta center stage because there were so many and their names were revealed first. I mean, Nikki Ashton, uh, the NDP ML, uh, MP from Manitoba, was uh, 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 deprived. Uh, her uh, critic's job was uh, stripped from her. Mm-hmm. Um, others in the Conservative Party have found uh, the same fate um, uh, nationally. So, yeah, um, yeah look at the uh, Joe Hargraves in Saskatchewan, the, the transportation minister. He lost his job. Um, yeah, there have been punishments. You know, they have suffered consequences. And, uh, you know, reasonably quickly. I mean, Jagmeet Singh and the NDP uh, took away uh, the critics' role from Nikki Ashton almost immediately. It took four days for Jason Kenney to do anything substantive uh, with his MLAs and cabinet ministers. You know, Keith, uh, we appreciate your time this morning. Uh, obviously, you're very passionate about this. Uh, thank you so, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you bet. Bye now. Bye, for, bye to you. That is Keith Brownsey, political science professor from Mount Royal University. 843, and is feeling financially secure in 2021 one of your New Year's resolutions? Maybe just getting in there and tackling that debt? Well, we are joined to help you out with that by Marie Kozlowski, who is BDO Canada's vice president. She joins us now. Hi, Marie. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Andrew. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thank you for joining us. You always have such great advice. And, and if, if folks maybe got into a little bit of trouble last year, tough year for so many in 2020, how do we go about just even starting to tackle that debt? You know, Sue, I think, you know, here at BDO um, and myself, um, I'm encouraging people to make paying down debt a part of their financial plan. If they've normally not developed a financial plan, now is the year to do it. We faced so many financial challenges last year because of the pandemic. The uncertainty continues. You know, we still have ongoing job losses, wage reductions, potentially serb overpayments. Tax time is coming, and many people are struggling. So um, putting a plan together, however simple, is really important. And it, it, it starts with, you know, taking a look at your current financial situation. And if we're focusing on debt here is how much debt do you have? Do you, are you actually aware of how much you have? What plans do you have for repayment? You know, what's your income? And then that dreaded word, household budget, because that really is the crux of it. How much money's coming in, whether it's your regular paycheck or a reduced paycheck, and how are you spending that money? Can you trim or cut spending? Use that to pay down debt. Or with some, with some people, um, perhaps they can save to, for an emergency fund or for retirement. But, you know, the goals that you set have got to be achievable, they've got to be realistic, and, you know, they've got to be specific with debt reduction goals. You know, and at BDO, we have on our website, debtsolutions.bdo.ca, some great budgeting and goal-setting worksheets, some tools online, debt repayment calculators. That should help, you know, the 50% of people who tell CIBC they just don't know how to um, start on a plan. 
Marie, it's interesting. You, you you set your goals, you lay the track, but how do we keep on track for, for 12 months? Any tips and suggestions on how to stay that course? Well, first of all, we have a plan, but you know you can't create a plan and then leave it until October or November next year. Um, you've got to review it, you know, monthly probably. Uh, some people do it two weekly, at least quarterly, just so at least you know how you're going. We know uh, from our own affordability index that almost a quarter of Canadians have overwhelming debt and financial uncertainty due to the pandemic. This CIBC poll that's recently uh, been produced says that, say that 75% um, believe that the current economic situation, again, as I said, makes it difficult to plan ahead. You've got to review your plan. Are you meeting your goals? Is this budget that you've prepared working for you? Um, If it's not, you need to take a look and you need to adjust. These are really difficult things for people to do. I recognize that. But right now, we're starting 2021. Um, Everybody needs a fresh start when we get out of the pandemic, but we need a fresh start financially, and we need to kind of turn the page and start that new chapter of our financial life because for most people there will be some form of new chapter. So review and reassessment is absolutely, you know, it's very, very important. And, you know, a debt professional such as myself, a licensed insolvency trustee, you know, people come and see me. And in some cases the solution to the debt problems that they perceive they have is as simple as budgeting. And we can provide that advice. And with others, it may be a bit more difficult, but at least the inf- we've gone through the information and explained the options. And then they're in a position when the situation changes, things get better perhaps, they can look at these options and implement them. And if things don't get better, then they do have the information at their fingertips to make a decision because, you know, it's, it can be so incredibly overwhelming to have debt problems that you don't see a way out you can't see a way of solving. Marie, before we let you go, I just want to ask you, though, if I'm sitting at home and I'm in debt and I'm thinking, well, I can't afford to hire a, a debt relief professional, so what am I going to do? Okay, well, first of all, a licensed insolvency trustee will, well, certainly at BDO, we do a free confidential consultation. Uh, it's by telephone now because of COVID, but that is totally free. And then with a, if you decide to do a consumer proposal, or even a bankruptcy uh, option, then the, the trustee's fees are, are actually controlled by federal legislation. It's a levy, so we can't ch- charge you what we, whatever we want. We are very much controlled, and that's very important. Um, the important thing to know, Sue, is if you need some information, you don't need to pay for it up front. Uh, you don't need to pay um, a credit counseling agency to, to, to take a look at your situation. Mm. You can get a free confidential consultation from a licensed insolvency. Good to know. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Marie, and a very timely topic. We appreciate your time. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Marie Kozlowski, BDO Canada Vice President and Licensed Insolvency Insolvency Trustee, online at debtsolutions.bdo.ca. Is becoming more and more popular, and events like Dry January recognize it's still very possible to have fun without having to drink alcohol. And joining us to talk about that a little more is Marie Ferraro, who is VP of Calgary's Boring Little Girls Club. Hi, Marie. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about uh, Calgary's Boring Little Girls Club. What exactly is it to begin with? Sure. So the Boring Little Girls Club is a community of women non-binary and trans folks who have fun without drugs and alcohol. We are a sober social group. 
Okay, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, why it was important to, you're the vice president, why is it so important to create a, a group like this? Are, are more and more of us just wanting to, you know, have fun without having to rely on the booze? I think so. Well, I mean, I'm only an expert in my own experience, so I can only speak for myself. But what we realized is, is that there's not a lot of sober affirming spaces to go out and be social in. You know, and sober affirming would be one dry spaces, but also spaces that understand that alcohol and drugs can be really problematic for folks. So we were seeing this gap and just decided to create a community for ourselves. Marie, though, it's kind of it's kind of like the Mount Everest, though. And uh, I'm wondering why and, and if you know anything about the history of making January you know, a dry wary, if you will, because we come off the holiday season, New Year's Eve. It's cold. It's a little darker because it's January. It's, it's, uh, it might be one of the toughest months to take on a challenge like this. Fair. I mean, and there are those of us, right? So our membership isn't actually doing the fundraiser. We live sober 365 days a year, most of us. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, sober dry in January is a trend. It's a thing that's been happening for uh, a good while. So we just decided, hey, why don't we fundraise in this month and, uh, you know, make some money while folks are already kind of going sober. So tell us a little, I mean, your organization, and I know there are lots of others, for, for guys, for, for couples, for singles, whatever it might be, to get yeah. out and just, you know, have fun and not have to depend on, on alcohol being a part of it. But yeah. is, are, are there various reasons of it? It's not always that, that someone has a, a specific problem with alcohol, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's true, right? And so our group is a real mixed bag of folks. Not everyone identifies as an addict or an alcoholic. Some folks just would like to be able to be their authentic selves and just be really present in each moment and not be drunk. Um, It could be just a life choice. It could be just a different way of connecting that doesn't require alcohol to be a social lubricant. There are a myriad of reasons, right? And, And I'm not saying that alcohol is bad by any means, right? It just we needed an alternative, mm-hmm. right? We just needed to people to understand that our experiences is valid and we wanted to be sober. A group like, uh, you know, a boring little girls club <laughs> and uh, doing it with, with, with people or with a partner or maybe with some uh, friends in the office. Why is it important and why is the strength in numbers important to find success if this is something that you, you want to achieve? Community is so important. You know, we would like to be able to share struggles and goals and joys with others, right? And so, um, yeah, there is a power in numbers. So our community is also very affirming to a lot of folks that are really marginalized. So it's not just women, it's gender diverse folks and queer folks, right? So it is kind of the space where for folks who don't have other spaces, now, it can be certainly if you just, you know, you're, you just want to maybe do for a month a dry January, for example, it can can be, uh, you know, very um, get you a little bit better shape and, and healthier because alcohol puts on the pounds. So do you mm-hmm. find that with your organization that, uh, you know, people sort of feel better and, and just physically are, are feeling more healthy that way? You know, again, I think everyone's experience is different. But what I do think in regards to January, especially January 2021... You know, like the world is so different right now. We are in the midst of a global pandemic. And 18% of Canadians have reported an increase in their alcohol and drug use, studying lack of, you know, regular schedule and stress and loneliness. So, you know, we are encouraging folks to take this opportunity and have a little reset on those substance use habits. So, you know, it it couldn't hurt, that's for sure.
Marie, I got a question for you. And you say you, you've, you've mentioned a few times it's only from your own personal experience, and that's what you can speak to. But you have experience in this world, so I'm wondering what advice you would offer to somebody who decides to go dry January, for example, or any month during the year. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if you've ever been in that position and you're going out with your your coworkers mm-hmm. or your friends, and everybody's got a beer or a vodka soda in their hand, and you order a diet coke, for example, you get the looks. So, 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 so dealing, <laughs> dealing with you, you've chosen to make a change, but dealing with how others react, mm-hmm. how, how can you set us up for success there? Well, so for participants, so we should start talking about try, dry the fundraiser, but what we've created is a sober survival guide. Um, and it is handed out or mailed or emailed to anyone who's participating. And it has stuff just like that, like tips and tricks to staying, staying sober, activities, thoughts, like there's a lot of um, information for folks who may be new to sobriety, because it's true, especially if you're not a problematic drinker and you just normally drink to be social and all of a sudden you're not, your community may be like, hey, what the heck's going on, right? So there are tips and tricks on how to navigate that and how to discuss that. So it's a sober survival guide. And Marie, uh, we got some texts in saying, you know, it is, it's great to talk about this because sometimes we do tend to, you know, over glamorize the use of alcohol. And, mm-hmm. and this is a great way to talk about certainly other options. And that Calgary has some amazing local companies that produce non-alcoholic drinks mm-hmm. and sodas and that sort of thing. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of that going on. It, it's, it's really becoming a bigger thing than maybe people realize. Uh, I fully agree. You know, it's just... It's just understanding that sober folks are valid and their experience is important. And for people who want to go out into the world and be sober, we would like to be able to drink more than just a soda pop, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are, there's artisan drinks and there's a lot of even local breweries and things that are understanding that we are a demographic that are important. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the time, I'm hoping, for folks to understand that sober sobriety and sober affirming spaces is mandatory. Let's uh, use your chance to give a plug to Try Dry Sober okay. January. Where do the funds go and, and how does it work? Sure. Okay, so we are asking folks to go for the month of January without drugs or alcohol, excluding, of course, medications. You can part- you could have participated in many ways, so decide to go sober for the month and be like, hey, all the money I would normally spend, I am going to donate to this fundraiser. Or people are um, ask- deciding to go sober and asking their friends and family to make pledges. Like, if I go sober for the month of January, how much money would you pledge me? Folks are also just donating money to the fundraiser. And we are raising money for the DOPE team. It's the Downtown Outreach Addiction Partnership. And the DOPE team, for those that do not know it, is a mobile response to street-level addiction and public intoxication. It is an essential mobile service, and their members travel through the city to assist people under the influence or drugs of, under the influence, pardon me, of drugs or alcohol who need help navigating shelters, detoxes, medical services, housing, you know, and I think one of the most beautiful things about the DOPE team is they are giving kindness and respect to some of of Calgary's most vulnerable people, and they're basically saving lives. And so this is our annual fundraiser. We did one last year. We raised $6,300. We're hoping to uh, raise $10,000 this year. And another element that we've added is because, you know, it's a tough time. We are in the midst of a global pandemic, and a lot of folks are having some financial stressors, and Last year, 
we um, asked all our participants to do the fundraising. This year, we've gotten a little creative, and we've added an online auction. So we've had a lot of really beautiful support from community partnerships, so local businesses who are donating services and products, and we are going to be auctioning them off online, and 100% of the proceeds are going to the Try Dry fundraiser. Love it. Fantastic. All the information at BoringLittleGirlsClub.ca, and, uh, you know, folks can go online. There are great mocktail recipes, so you can still have a delicious drink just, you know, without the alcohol in it. So thanks for joining us talk- yeah. uh, talking about this, Marie. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. That is Marie Ferraro, who is the VP of Calgary's Boring Little Girls Club. Again, boringlittlegirlsclub.ca.